Thanks for joining us for another message from Southland Church. If you'd like any information about our church, check out our website at mysouthland.com. So we've been talking confident faith. We're going to jump back into the uh, confident faith. And just a couple things here. Know what and why you believe. So really we started this series on Easter and we talked about why Jesus had to die. Uh, because he, he loves us. But sin actually demands a consequence and he had to get a, around having a people that could love him of their own free will. Uh, but also getting around his demands for justice. D- did you know you can't actually have love without justice? God wouldn't be loving if he wasn't just. If he just was permissive and allowed you to do whatever you want, even if it hurt others, he actually wouldn't be loving, nor would he be good. But he is both loving, and he's good, and he's just, and he's holy, and he's righteous, and he's a judge, and he's all of these things all the time. Never in conflict with himself. I can't imagine what that would be like. But anyhow, that's the God we serve, and he has made a way. So we talked about that, and we talked how about, you know, if we have a confident faith, we need to know what we believe and why we believe it. And that's 1 Peter 3.15, and that one we memorized, well, a lot of us did this last year. But in your hearts, honor Christ Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you, yet do it with gentleness and respect. So this was something that all believers are supposed to answer this call. We're supposed to be ready to share our faith. We're supposed to be ready to answer questions. Now, this does not mean that you have to know absolutely every answer to every question in here. But you do need to understand some core pillars, some core questions that are in here. Like our biblical worldview. Why, like, how did we get here? That's, that's one that all believers should know. What's the problem with the world? If you don't know what the problem is with the world from the Bible, you're going to get that information filled in from the world. And if that happens, you're going to be really messed up. Right? That's what we talked about, the biblical worldview. In the biblical worldview, this is kind of the things that we should be ready to defend, but the origin, the problem, the solution, and identity, right? These are all important parts of our faith uh, that all believers should be trained in. So we've talked a little bit about this. We are going to talk more about this in... in, uh, in the weeks coming up, probably after summer, I'm not sure, maybe fall. We'll see as the Lord leads. Uh, But I have some other things I want to address before we get to, uh, you know, going deeper on the biblical worldview. We also looked at uh, this here, cruise ship to battleship here, and this is important. Uh, We've been looking at this, right? Learn about God and learn to know God. And if you go to the center, know him, love him, uh, worship him, and obey him, Jesus. Jesus is at the center. And a few times in the last year and a half, I think I put this up here, actually it's two years now, and we've gone to various parts on here, but often then we'll point back to the center. Uh, Today we're going to talk about the importance of that center, of knowing God for yourself. And I, I can't I can't stress this enough. Like, be prepared to make a defense, and, and the creation and the resurrection, they are powerful apologetics for both the existence of God and for the, the fact that he is good. Absolutely, yes. But knowing him for yourself, knowing him for yourself, that will give you, that will give you strength that will far surpass any truth that you know. And, and something that always bothers me, and there's various reasons why we withhold, but when I was preparing today's message, it's this idea. I think a lot of people really give a sincere yes. They really want to. Lord, I'm giving you my yes. But for whatever reason, we hold back. 
And we were praying for you guys before in the team uh, prayer here before the service. And we hold back. Often it's because we've been hurt by others or let down by others or nobody ever gave us what we needed. So we had to learn to, to take care of our needs ourselves. And for whatever reason, we get to a place where, where we end up guarding, you know, we guard our hearts from others. I don't want you to hurt me, so I guard my heart from you. But inadvertently, I think lots of us end up guarding our hearts from God and we cut ourselves off from the power source. And that's what we're going to be talking about today. Uh, but anyhow, know God for yourself. And that's what we're going to get to. But before we get there, I'm just going to take, no, you know what? I'll just leave that on there. Um, one example, I was, I was you know, Recently, I've been, talk- I've been asked a lot of questions, probably coming out of a lot of the message series, uh, but even in our society, one of the, the questions that's coming against, the, uh, against God is the violence in the Old Testament. And we're not going to go through a long apologetic on that. There's lots of good answers, by the way, in good books you can read, uh, like Is God a Moral Monster by, by Paul Copen. But beyond that, I was asked just recently, how do you explain some of the violence in the Old Testament? I was given a particular example. I actually have had that twice now. And so I was walking them through, and, and I'll just kind of give you a recap because it's a lot of the stuff that we've been going through. Number one, you know what I've learned to do? Because how do you handle a question that's out of left field that you're not sure how to answer? Because I don't know about you, I have, now I've read this thing, I don't know, maybe, maybe 20 times, through, uh, front to back. But I don't know all the context and what was going on in history and all the, everything about every story in here. Like, it's just too big. There's just too much going on in here. And so how do you answer questions like this if you don't have the answer right there? We're supposed to be ready. Well, it's, remember, go back to what you do already know. And I, I've learned something from one of the masters. Uh, he would be my, the, the journeyman that I'm apprenticing under, Jesus himself. And you know what he did when he was asked questions that were a bit of traps, trap questions? He'd respond with what? Questions, <laughs> right? He would, he would take a question and then he'd fire another one back and say, well, how about you answer me this first and then we'll answer this one over here. You know, that, we have to learn to do that. And so one of the things I have learned to do is take a pause and say, you know what, there's good answers for that, but, but can I just ask a few questions first? And what I did is I brought it back, in both cases I brought it back to, like, just reaffirming. Like, so when we start at the beginning, I just want to lay a foundation. Like, do you be, like how do you think we got here? Like, do you believe that, like, it was just random atoms that just were colliding and suddenly, poof, here we had this complex universe that's ever expanding and we had different species and they just kind of evolved out of nothing. It's just randomness. Randomness that has language and so much precision in mathematics, which is weird for randomness. But anyways, like, do you believe that? Or do you believe that all of this came from something? Like, do you believe in God? We went to creation, right? So I covered creation. So once we could agree on that, now you might get someone who doesn't agree. In this case, they did agree. But if they don't agree, I wouldn't even go on to answering, like, why did God, you know, what happened with the Canaanites? You're not going to be able to answer that satisfactorily if you can't even arrive to the conclusion of how do you think we got here? Does that make sense? So you don't have to feel obligated to answer every question in here. So I went to creation first, and we both agreed. Yeah, it makes sense. A powerful God, powerful, existing outside of time, existing outside of space, must have created this. It's the only thing that makes sense. It actually makes the most sense of any other theory out there. So then the, the natural question goes to, and I know we've talked about this, but I just want to work you through it so you can see how we apply this knowledge. Uh, well, how do we know it's the God of the Bible? How do we know it's the Hebrew God, Yahweh? How do we know it's this God? 
Well, then we go to Jesus, his life, his death, his resurrection. That's what we covered last time and all the proofs for that. So we started talking about Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. We could agree that we agreed on that. Now, what does Jesus' death, life, and resurrection tell us? Well, it tells us multiple things. One, the first thing is it tells us that he is the God that created everything. So he is that God. But it also tells you a whole bunch about what type of person or his character or who he is. Because we can see, I mean, number one, he is the God of the Bible. Number two, we can see that sin is way more serious than we ever probably want to admit to, even the sin in our own lives, because it, it cost him his life in order to defeat it in, in us. But we can also see that he is good. So despite the claim that he actually is, he's just all about judgment in the Old Testament, he's just about, judge, he's a judging God, no, no, the, the death and resurrection of Jesus actually proves that he desires mercy over judgment. You see, if we can come to an agreement on that and make sense, and we did, then I can say, well, now let's talk about what happened with, with, in the land of Canaan. And then I say, did you know that it actually took God over 400 years of warning them before he judged them? You know what they were doing? They were doing child sacrifice, incest, Gross, detestable sins, idolatry. When you actually look at what they were doing and the time frame it took to, for judgment, maybe the question goes from God so terrible to how could he have put up with that for so long? God is consistent. He is desiring that none should perish but that all should reach repentance. He's merciful, but he's also a judge. And he gives us an opportunity to turn to him. But anyways, there's good, do you see the application here? How we're taking the stuff, just the basic things we're learning and how you can apply it. And uh, you don't have to be a scholar to do it. But anyways, uh, you just got to start getting, getting into the word and know what you believe, know why you believe it. But here's the thing. There's a third part here, and that's what we're getting onto now, and that's the knowing God. And I, you can't, I can't s stress this enough. This is where my confidence comes from. Because I can be thrown a question that I haven't looked into yet and I don't even know. Like, oh, that's a good question. I can see that looks bad. But I'm not shaken. Do you know why I'm not shaken? Because I know God for myself. It's personal. Like, the apologetics that I'm going through are not the reason why I'm following. They have strengthened me in my faith and they've helped me in talking to others. Absolutely, yes. You know why I follow Jesus? Because in my car, in, behind Industrial Park over there, when I tried listening to that silly, stupid worship song that was making me cry and I couldn't figure it out, he met me in there. He called me by name. He looked behind the mask. He said, I know who you are, I know what you've done, and I love you anyways. I met the person of Jesus Christ. That's why I follow him. My response to him then is the same as it is now. If you will love me the way I am, I'll follow you anywhere. That's why I follow him. But that's how we have to know him. So, moving forward. The evidence is strong. Let's talk about growing a confident faith. Oh yeah, I was already on that. Without faith it is impossible to please him. Whoever would draw near to God, that's the knowing, must believe that he exists. So the things we talked about, those apologetics, are important. And that he rewards those who seek him, the character of God. So you're going to need to know things about his character and his existence in order to draw near to him properly, <laughs> right? So it's, it's important that we get that kind of balance. Right knowledge of God is supposed to lead us into right relationship with God. 
So we need the knowledge. We need the truth. And I think in the West, I don't know if we, if, maybe it was just, you know when for so long everyone just kind of believes the same thing? You get complacent. I mean, why go over all the basics of morality when everyone thinks the same in morality? But we're no longer there. We're in a post-Christian society and beliefs can't be assumed anymore. And now we're starting to see the negative side to being complacent on making sure that the next generation is enforced with what is true. But knowledge in and of itself is not the thing that is going to save you. But it will help you, move you towards a right relationship with God. And that is important. We relate to him on his terms. Because he's God and we're not. Matthew 22, 37 to 38, and he said, You shall love the Lord your God with all of your, say it with me, heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. This is a whole life commitment. So we don't just, you know, it begins with a yes, absolutely yes. So like we've been talking lots about that since September, and I don't know that we'll ever stop talking about it because <laughs> it's not something you do once. We daily pick up our cross and follow him. That requires a yes. That's a, we, we just put it into one word. But that yes is the beginning. God shows you, you know, you're stuck in sin over here, and you turn to him and say yes. You're saying no to your sin, this pornography or whatever it is, and I'm saying yes, I'm going to follow him in this area. Or I'm lost in my, you know, I'm not even following him, and I see that I'm lost in my sins, and I turn to him and I say yes, and I start to follow him. Or I realize I'm wasting all my time watching Netflix, and that's not bad in and of itself to watch a show on there, but if you're wasting all your time in it, it is bad, and you'll be held accountable for that. You're only given 24 hours a day. Are you using it for the kingdom, or are you using it just for nothing? But anyways, I digress. But you realize, oh, Lord, I'm wasting my life here, and I say yes to him. So yes is important. It's like what James says, that the tongue is a tiny rudder that steers a large ship. Right? So see your yes like that, but now begins the, the journey of stewardship. Right? God has given you breath in your lungs. He has, given you, he has given you skills. He has given you personality. He has given you a mission field. You're already in it. You don't have to go to it. Although he will call you some, probably a, a chunk in here, to go to other mission fields, and I hope so, but, but you're already in a mission field. He's already given you these things, given you finances. But now that yes, the walking it out is the stewarding of those things. Are we going to use them to advance his purposes? And this is part of how we, we know God. This is how we know him. You know, there's a danger I see in our culture, and that is this idea of fire insurance. It used to be much bigger when I was a, when I was a kid. But I remember people talking like that. And even, <laughs> even as a drug dealer, I remember having these conversations with people, which is kind of silly. But, but uh, when people would talk about, oh, yeah, I believe in God, you know, it's like fire insurance. Like... You know, you just believe in him, and, and then you got that just in case. Then you're saved just in case. I don't think that that's how salvation works. That it's a card that you just say, oh, I believe that God exists and that Jesus died for my sins, and I just put it in my pocket. Now I live like hell, and I expect to go to heaven. I understood that even when I wasn't following the Lord. That's a danger. We miss out, and the Bible doesn't actually support that way of thinking. So it begins with a yes, absolutely, and you are not saved by your works, absolutely not. You are saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. That is the only way to salvation, absolutely yes, but there is a faith that saves, and the Bible is very clear on what that faith looks like. 
And a very big part of that is knowing God personally for yourself. Take a look at this passage here. This is 1 John 2, 1 to 6. Actually, you're only going to see snippets of it. Um, so if you go to your Bibles, you'll see more. By the way, anytime you see the dot, 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 that means I've taken part of a verse out. I'm just telling you that. So if you're ever wondering, hey, this verse is not how it looks in my Bible, that's why. Dot, dot, dot means I deleted because I wanted to have certain lines highlighted for you guys on there. But read all of, why don't you just read all of 1 John this next week? You'll love it. That's where when I was a kid, I got assurance of salvation in 1 John. It's amazing. Anyways, my little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. So he's talking now about what it means to follow Jesus, what it means to be a believer. I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, (laughs) we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins. So meaning he died for us. He was the replacement for, our, for us. He paid that penalty so that we could be forgiven. So he's saying, I'm telling you these things so you don't sin, but when you do sin, remember Jesus who died for your sins and, and get back up and keep moving forward. That's really what he's saying here. But then he goes on to say, and by this we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. That's why the right thinking is important for, for right knowing, right? You can't know God rightly without right thinking because you need to understand what his commandments are. That's actually how you love him. Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, in him truly the love of God is perfected. By this we may know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. High call. Absolutely yes. But remember the first verse. I'm writing these things to you so that you don't sin. That's the goal. Don't sin. Become like Christ. He's your journeyman. You're the apprentice. You're supposed to walk with him because that's what you do when you're an apprentice. You walk with, your, with the journeyman. That's what you do. And that's what he's calling us to. But he knows you'll sin. And he's saying that's why I died for your sins. You don't have to be perfect. You're not saved by your works. But if you are actually following him, you are going to see these works beginning to display themselves in your life. And that's why it's something that you can't actually measure. But anyways, uh, we're going to move forward. We don't just add Jesus into our lives. And, that, and that's very important. You know, we got to resist that notion that sometimes Christians will say, right? You know, it's the fire insurance. It's the next step that, you know, my life is pretty good, but you just add Jesus in. And if you're wrong in the end, you, you lived a good life. But if you're right, then you're saved. There's no if you're wrong or if you're right. I understand that, that maybe that way of reasoning for talking to an unbeliever. But this is not a matter of opinion. This is truth. It's true no matter what I believe or no matter what I feel, but I don't add Jesus into my life. I trade my life for his. Do you see the difference? You know the whole idea of Jesus take the wheel, right? Jesus take the wheel. It's kind of a little bit different. We get out of our car and we actually join the ship that he's in and we say, now I'm, I'm giving up my life and I'm joining you in what you are doing. That's a better way to look at it. Anyways, Matthew 7. Let's talk about the importance of knowing him. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, enters the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father. On that day, many will say, Lord, Lord, but the decisive issue, uh, no, and then he goes, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. There, what I deleted there was just that they cast out demons, prophesied and performed miracles and mighty, mighty works in his name. But they never knew him. So look at that. I didn't know you. That's important. Matthew 25, 31 to 46. This is the sheep and the goats, and you can go look at the entire passage later. In fact, I encourage you to do it. Don't just take my word for it. Read it. These these parables and the word is so rich and it will change your life if you let it. 
But anyways, he goes on talking about, you know, he's splitting the, the sheep from the goats. And at the end here he says, then they will answer him, because he said, you didn't, you didn't uh, feed me and you didn't do all these things to Jesus. And, he, and their answer to him is, Lord, when did we see you hungry, thirsty, stranger, naked or sick in a prison and did not minister to you? Like, Lord, we never saw you on the earth. We didn't see you. Like, how can you hold us to that? And he says, truly I say to you as you did it, or did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it unto me. And these will go into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. Lots that we could say there. Another one, 25, 1 to 13. So you can see from that previous one, though, there's an expectation to love him, right? To love him and to know him is also to follow him. And where is he? He says he was, all, he was among the poor and he was among the broken. He was among the least of these. And he said, all the places where you couldn't find yourself to go. Anyways, Matthew 25, 1 to 13, this is the parable of the ten virgins, the five foolish and five wise. And they all have oil in their lamps. The wise bring extra oil, the foolish do not. Now there's some arguments on what that oil represents. But regardless of what you say it represents, we know this. Not having enough led to them missing out on being in heaven. That we know for sure because the, the parable is very clear. But there's so much we can draw from the, the, the whole story, and that is they're all waiting for the bridegroom. All of them. But five of them had something that the other five did not. And anyways, we know at the end how Jesus' response to them, we know that. They're knocking on the door, they come late, and they're saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. And he said, truly I say to you, I do not what? Know you. Knowing God for yourself. That's why we've been focusing so much on a yes. Yes is so critical in knowing him because to know him, to love him, is to keep his commandments, is to follow him. That's what it means. That's why the yes is so important, right? I'll do one more. I know, I, I exhausted myself in scripture in this one. This is eternal life that you may know the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. Okay, so a few points from these passages. Knowing Jesus personally is of the utmost importance. That's... You can believe Jesus exists cognitively, just like James says, the demons do, but fail to know him personally. That we can see from there. And also, uh, another little you know, nugget in there that's not to do with this message. Sometimes people are asking, you know, we'll talk about when you stand before Jesus after death, you know, if you love him then, if you choose him then, then you get a second chance to go into heaven. These parables actually make it very clear that you don't get a second chance. In each parable, actually, it makes it very clear there is no second chance. You get one chance. One. Well, that's not true. One life, many chances in that life. <laughs> Let's back up here. You get many chances, but one life to make those choices. Anyhow, that's another message, which we will have at some point. So that's why we've been focusing on our yes. Now, that may frighten you. Don't be frightened. Well, maybe be frightened. Maybe that's a good fear of the Lord rising up and you causing you to, to, to push forward in your relationship with Jesus. And if that's the case, I would never say don't be frightened. But turn to God. How about that? Turn to God if you're frightened. And remember this, though. He is committed. He is committed to showing you mercy and to bringing you into heaven to be with him for eternity. He has proven it. Look what he did with the Canaanites. He allowed 413 or ish whatever years of absolute wickedness giving them every opportunity to repent before he brought judgment. Jesus came, two, we're 2,000 years later, he's still putting up with all the wickedness. 
Child sacrifice, we don't do that anymore. We, we just abort babies instead. For the same reason, to make your life better. He is committed to showing you mercy, but you have to respond. You have to receive the invitation. Does that make sense? Yes? Okay. All right. Yep. Don't know where I am. I'm somewhere on here. Yep. Oh, here it is. Here we go. So, uh, know God for yourself. Personally, it'll give you strength and hardship. So this is why it matters for a confident faith, because I want to keep tying it back in. It's going to give you strength and hardship. It will. Absolutely, yes. Because the whole world gets dark, but when you truly believe, when you know him for yourself, you know that no matter what happens to you, you're on the winning side. You also know that it doesn't matter what can happen to your body, that he will save you ultimately. You know that like, he is committed to your good. As much as I feel like, Lord, I'm going to screw this thing up, he has proven his commitment to me and to you that he will hold us and keep us if we just give him a minimal yes in return. So anyhow, but you need to know him for yourself to know that. So that's important. Uh, there's also a pot, yeah, sorry. You can, um, it gives you a personal testimony for sharing your faith, and it is the key to bearing fruit with love, joy, and peace. So let's take a look now at knowing God from the head to the heart. All right. Did you know, by the way, when you look, did you know that God's desire is for you to, to abound in hope? See, sometimes we take it to a weird spot, and, and I know that. Sometimes, you know, we talk prosperity. I'm not going into all that right now. But where God just wants you to be healthy, wealthy, and wise, and happy all the time. I'm not saying that. But he actually says he wants you to abound in hope. He also says he wants you to experience a peace that passes understanding. We would like that to mean we have an easy life. He doesn't promise that. He says there's going to be hardship. But who, who doesn't have a hard life? You're hard on this side or hard on that side. Everyone has a hard life. He actually wants you to experience his peace. He wants you to experience hope. He actually desires it. It's in his word. He doesn't lie. He also wants you to have joy. Look at that. That your joy may be full, the last line. But he says, I am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser. I did skip out a whole bunch of verses in here. Uh, but you should read 1 to 17. It's rich, 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 rich. I would encourage you to memorize it maybe in the summer. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. Every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes. Okay, so if it doesn't bear fruit, he cuts it off. But if it does bear fruit, he prunes so that it bears more fruit. <laughs> right? That's to all of us. So that's, that's that refining fire. Absolutely yes. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and prove to be his disciples. I'm not good enough. I'm not this. I'm too, I'm too fill in the blank. I know. He loves that. He, he loves using broken pots, jars of clay, to show that the surpassing power belongs to him and not to you. But you have to relinquish control to him. You have to. But his desire is to actually bear fruit in your life. Kingdom fruit that lasts forever. It's important that we understand that. And then look at that. I love it at the end. These things I've spoken to you that your joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. He actually wants that for your life. So let's look at some barriers to knowing God for ourselves. And the first one is giving God your yes in cognitive belief alone. We already covered that with fire insurance. Okay, so that's a barrier to knowing God for yourself. Cognitive belief alone, that's the fire insurance Christian. Don't do that. Uh, that doesn't save you. It's not just a card you write on and say, I believe in Jesus Christ, I just declare this once, and now I'm saved. That's not in the Bible. Okay, uh, but now we'll go on to the next one, okay? Giving God your yes, but withholding your heart. 
Now this one is a lot different than the first ones. You see, the first one can come from someone who's stubborn and rebellious that actually has no interest in serving God. They just want to live for themselves. Does that make sense? This second one, though, is very different because in this second one, you may be here and your yes is sincere. Like when you're saying, God, I give you my life, there's nothing in you that's saying, but there's this one part I refuse no matter what. It's not like a rebellious heart like that. But for whatever reason, maybe you were abused when you were younger. Maybe you experienced trauma. Maybe people let you down. Maybe you've been trapped in this spiral of depression or anxiety. And there is just so much fear in letting anybody in behind the wall. So you give God your yes, but you withhold your heart. And I understand that maybe the heart isn't rebellious, but ultimately to withhold from God is sin, it's pride. Ultimately, at the root of that is pride. It's a failure to trust God with your life. You're saying, I trust me to guard my heart more than I trust you, God. And I know we wouldn't say it like that on purpose, but remember the first command, we just said it, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, first thing. Withholding your heart from him will cause you to wither. You'll wither. And if you do it for long enough, it can be, I, I, don't, I don't know where the line draws, right? Because we know people can walk away from their faith. I definitely don't think that's everyone. Like, but this is what, for sure you'll wither and bear less fruit than intended. And at very worst, your heart will get so hard and cold to him that you'll actually walk away from your faith. And we see examples of that in scripture. And then there's this next one here, and that is the giving your yes. This would be... <laughs> If there was ever one that I would struggle with a barrier, that's the third one, right? Getting distracted. I know that would be a surprise to all of you to think that I could ever get distracted. Um, but anyways, it happens. Giving God your yes, but being so distracted with the things going on that you just fail to actually see what he's doing and join in on what he's doing. We talk about objective truth and how, remember, I think two weeks ago, maybe you don't remember. I hardly remember what I said two weeks ago too, but I had alluded to a point and I'd said, you know, um, your experience and your feelings are like they're a wonderful gift. Well, they can be really difficult in life or they can be really good. They can add color and flavor and excitement to life. But they're lousy at determining what is true. They are. They're lousy. At, I mean, truth is truth no matter what. It doesn't matter what I believe about gravity. Gravity will be gravity no matter what. Does that make sense? It doesn't matter if I think that I can fly. I can't unless I'm in a plane with my dad. You see, and that's why it's so important what we focus on, what we do in life, how, like where we're giving our time, the kinds of things that we look at, the kind of things that we view, because we very quickly get distracted and wonder where God is and don't realize all of the things that he's doing around us all the time. And we'll, we'll look at how we train that later on, but we miss out on what God is doing because our focus is in the wrong places. Many of us are counting balls in life instead of counting blessings. It's easy to do. Right? I mean, think about the more things you have to juggle, the more you're trying to track, like, okay, what do I all have to get done today? Oh, okay, white team, ball has to go here, there, I gotta pick up so and so, and then I gotta go here. Oh, I gotta get that done, I gotta get this done, and I gotta get that done. And by the time you're done through the day, you're so darn exhausted, you have nothing left, but you missed out on everything that was going on around you. Happens to the best of us. It's happened to me far too many times, and I know it's happened to many of you too. Let's take a look at this in scripture. Luke 10, Mary and Martha. Now as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. 
So I love that. Doesn't that sound like a yes? Doesn't it? That's a yes. Jesus, right? Revelation said, I stand at the door and knock. Anyone who hears my voice and opens the door, I'll enter in and eat with him and he with me, right? That's a yes. Jesus enters, right? And she has a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. So she's, Mary is just sitting there enamored with the person of Jesus. But Martha was distracted with much serving. She went up, up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you're anxious and troubled about many things. He's talking about focus. You know, anxiety is a focus problem. It, it is. I'm not saying it's easy to overcome. Don't hear me saying that. I, have, I, I understand the battle of anxiety personally. But regardless of how deep or trapped you are, it is a focus problem. That's what it is. You're focused on the what-ifs. You're focused on what could be. It's, a fear, it's fear mostly of the future. It's a focus problem, and that's exactly what he's pointing out here. You have a focus problem, Martha. Now I know we could spend lots of time here and saying, but yeah, but things still have to get done. Yeah, they do. They do. You're right. Things have to get done. And you notice how Jesus doesn't condemn her either? He doesn't condemn her, but 100% he corrects her. Martha, you have a focus problem. Mary has chosen the better part, what is necessary. So, Mary invited Jesus in. That's a wonderful thing. Absolutely yes, right? Martha got distracted with her to-do list. She was troubled and anxious. Jesus didn't condemn her, but he absolutely did correct her totally. So, how do we move from the head to the heart? How do we overcome in this? Right? So we don't end up missing all the monkeys in our lives. All right. Just checking. I got lots of time. This is great. Time for a coffee break. Hi to you at home. Luke. Let's go to Luke. We're back to Luke. We were just in Luke 10. Now we're going to go to Luke 8. Right? Lots of scripture. Now, the parable is this. The seed, so Jesus has just kind of given them a parable of the different seeds. There's the seeds in the different soils, and we've gone over that before. I would encourage you to see it from the beginning. Uh, we're just going to focus on his explanation. So first he gives the parable. And the disciples want to know what does this mean, and then Jesus is going to describe to them what the seed in the soil stands for. And he says this, the seed that gets sowed is the word of God. The ones along the path are those who have heard, and the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so that they may not believe and be saved. So it's on the rocky path, right? And, and nothing ever takes root. Then there's uh, the, the ones on the rock are those who hear the word, receive it with joy. So they say yes, right? They receive it with joy. Yes, I'm in. I'm all in. Absolutely. But these have no root. They believe for a while and in a time of testing, they fall away. So, you know, you wonder, well, how would that happen? If you want to know how that happens, read Matthew 7, right? At the end, Jesus actually tells you how that happens. You build your life on the rock versus building your life on the sand. And it's basically the, the big difference is cognitive belief versus a life that loves God and follows him in obedience. That is the difference. So we can cognitively believe the fire insurance, and look what happens. It doesn't help us in the time of testing. Anyways, as for what fell among the thorns, those are those who hear, but as they go on their way, they are choked out by the cares and riches and pleasures of life. Their fruit does not mature. And as for the good soil, there are those who hear the word, hold fast in an honest and good heart, and bear fruit with patience. And in the Matthew version, it says 30, 60, and 100-fold fruit bearing is what they do. 
It's a pretty incredible promise. So uh, we're going to focus mostly on, on the choking out of the world. And, that, and that's really the, the soil that we're going to get to now. And so we're going to look at three keys to moving from your, your belief and your faith from your head into your heart. Because that's actually what we want to do in life. So first one is work the soil of your heart. This is your focus. We just talked about that with monkey business. Like that, this is the basic thing. There are many things in your life that God is already doing. There is. There's a lot that he's already doing in your life that you will miss out if you have a focus problem. Plus, there's a whole bunch of anxiety that you will experience if you have a focus problem. God actually doesn't want that for you. So the first thing is work the soil of your heart. You actually get to control what grows there. Now, we might, you might not be comfortable hearing that. Well, I don't know that I control what grows there in my heart. You do. Now, if you make decisions today and plant seeds today, they may not take, you know, start sprouting and growing, bearing fruit in your life today. They might take years to, to bear fruit. Now, once you have a problem in your garden, it might take a while to actually fix your heart. So I'm not saying anything about time. I'm not saying anything about difficulty or about things being simple or easy. I am just saying you have control over what grows in your heart. You get to choose. You get to choose. First John talks about practicing righteousness or practicing unrighteousness and how that bears fruit in our life. We get a choice here. So work, redirect your focus from the urgent in life to the necessary. And this is really what Jesus was getting at with Martha and Mary, wasn't it? Right? She was focused on the urgent, on all the things that had to get done, which are important. Mary was focusing on the necessary. There was something that was even more important, and that's what Jesus was pointing to. So that's number one. And by the way, there's lots that we're going to get onto in this knowing God. I mean, Martin's going to talk next week about the Word, and then we're going. We're two weeks away from Pentecost. Then, so we're right in that in between time from Jesus' death and resurrection to now when when uh, when he's, he ascended and then and we sent the Holy Spirit. We're going to get to that. But leading up to it, I'm just going to give you some of the tips. So we're going to try to build into it over the next four weeks now, right? Uh, the next one, though, is margin. Margin and space. Create space in your life. Yes to God will require no elsewhere. You know that you cannot say yes to everything and everyone? I have run into this problem countless times. A lot of this message was very easy to write only because I was writing out of personal experience on the negative side. Some of it on the positive, moving in the right direction. But you can't say yes to everything because everything requires time, effort, and energy. Like, and you have, you're, you're finite. You're limited by time. You're limited by space. You're limited by your energy. You cannot do everything. And if you're, you know, over this last, you know, since September, you've been saying yes to the Lord, but you haven't said no to anything else. That is a recipe for burnout and disaster and low fruit bearing. You need margin. And it's, what's interesting, when you look at the uh, uh, garden analogy, if you've seen a good, healthy garden, last year we didn't grow one, so our, our garden was a garden of weeds. And I always said to myself, I wish that weeds were something that we considered to be beautiful, because if it was, we would have loved our garden. This year we're going to grow one again. But do you know that a healthy garden has margin and space between the plants? Interesting. Do you know that margin and space between the plants, so just dirt, that's all that's there, nothing planted, actually allows the things that are planted to bear even more fruit. So they bear more fruit, not less, when there's margin. You get more accomplished, not less, when you create margin. 
Very, very important. We have to learn to respect our limitations. It's just part of how God made us. None of us are God. None of us. And yet even the Father modeled, and, and the Father in creation modeled this idea of rest. And we, that could be a whole message in and of itself. This is something, by the way, that for me personally, God has challenged on, uh, me on in the last probably few months of saying my yes to the Lord. Right? Because every one of us in here, we've all been saying yes in different ways. For me, it's been stopping. How do you stop? How do you rest? And I know this, the moment I stop, I'm overcome with guilt because of all the things that have to get done. Like, I have so many things that I'm not caught up on. And the Lord's challenged me on my own pride, saying, so whose job is it to get that work done anyways? See, I can say yes to him in the doing because I'm comfortable with that, but am I really saying yes to him if I refuse to stop? And the answer is no. So we create margin. Margin is absolutely important. So I'm, I'm hoping you guys can get that. So the question to ask yourself is, do you trust Jesus with your whole life? Do you trust him with your heart? Do you trust him with your time? Do you trust him with your needs? He says this, Come to me all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. So what I like about the yoke is the, your heart, what you plant there, what you grow there, working the soil of your heart, that is your responsibility. It is. But even in the things that he says are your responsibility, he invites us to yoke ourselves to him. So we abide in him so that he makes it possible, the things that are impossible to us. So how do we yoke ourselves to him to do this? And that's where I'll bring to my last point here. And that is we pray. If it's going to work. It'll jump forward all of a sudden in a second, I think. Anyways, but it's prayer. There it is. Prayer changes our heart. Prayer is where we learn to focus. You know, um, probably right before the pandemic started, yeah, as my kids all hit their teenage years, I'll tell you what happened. My prayer life exploded. Anyone who's uh, parented teens, and I am definitely not parenting them perfectly, I feel like most of the time I don't know what I'm doing. Don't say anything, Caitlin. Uh, but I don't know what I'm doing. But this is something that it's taught me. Prayer. Prayer. Every day I wake up. Do you know that there's margin? There's one area I get the margin right, and that is my mornings. I don't give it up to anyone. It was a key thing that brought me through COVID and brought me through our split, and that is every day I was with the Lord in the morning, processing what was happening the day before, processing what has to come, then facing challenges with my own family and teens, and then you're praying, and God's answering step prayers. And you know what it did? You know what prayer does? Prayer changes your focus. So if you go back to that gorilla video, prayer allows you to begin seeing all the different things that are going on in your life and the different things that God, God is doing, and it builds you up and builds your faith one of many things that prayer does. It is our lifeline as believers. It redirects our focus, connects us to God, gives us strength endure, uh, to endure, moves mountains in our lives. Now, I understand if you're stuck in the anxiety cycle or deeply hurt by others, working the soil of your heart is not easy. It's gonna take a big step of faith is what it's gonna take. You know, we often boil down, you know, faith to, do I believe that God exists? Do I not believe? Like, is it, is it science? Is it faith? Well, first off, they're not really in contradiction uh, to each other anyways. That's a whole other message series. But like, do I actually believe? No, no, that's, that's a small measure of faith. Very, very small. Because it's very reasonable to believe in the existence of God. There's lots of evidence. But when it comes to your heart... 
Will you trust him? Will your yes turn into trust? Will you let him be Lord of your life and, and give him the needs that you have? Will you give him the hurts and disappointments, your failures, your fears for tomorrow? I know that's not an easy step, but you're not alone in this. Jesus invites you to yoke yourself to him. It's going to take a step, though. It's going to take a yes, Lord, I'm letting you into the deepest part of my heart. But that's how you yoke yourself to him in prayer, and then you can connect to others in the body, and they'll share that load with you. You need margin in your life. That's the thing I want you to really focus on today. There's lots of ways that we're going to grow in knowing God, and we'll get onto those in the weeks coming up. But for today, my challenge is, will you create margin in your life so that you can pray, rest, process, refocus, break free, and change? You know, it's interesting. We look at Jesus. Great crowds are gathering to hear him, and he's healing many of their infirmities. And what does it say? He would withdraw to desolate places and pray. Jesus had margin. One of the busiest guys ever had margin. And he made sure in that margin, he wasn't just watching Netflix or whatever was the equivalent then. <laughs> he would spend time in prayer, connecting with the Father. That's why he had strength. Though he was God, he did not cling, on to, cling to the Godhead as something to be held on to. He gave up those divine privileges. He walked like us. Still God, absolutely yes, but walked like us. You know, in Matthew, we find him, look at this. Sit here, this is Garden of Gethsemane. Sit here while I go over there and pray. And taking him... Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, he began to be sorrowful and troubled. You know what's interesting about that here? So what is Jesus doing? Again, you see him making margin. He's getting away to pray. And Luke, it talks about an angel is sent to strengthen him. But you know what else he's doing in prayer? Bearing his heart. That anxiety, that fear, that depression, that hurt, that bitterness that's been growing inside that you don't know what to do with, Jesus is modeling for you what you can do with it. This is part of taking that invitation of come just as you are. You're tired and heavy laden. Yoke yourself to him. He wants to give you strength to endure. He wants to heal you. He wants you to bear fruit. Martha invited Jesus into her home. That's a yes. But then was too preoccupied with life to notice what Jesus was offering her. So what will we choose today? What's your choice? Lord, as we take time now just to be quiet before you, I just ask that you would speak to us on the condition of our heart and our yes to you. Lord, in the area of focus, what are the things that we are planting in the soil of our heart? Lord, are there, are there things that we need to say no to as we have said yes to you? Have we given you space? Is there margin in our life for you to move and work and communicate? Are we trusting you with our heart, our time, our needs?
earlier this week, I was inviting Jesus into my heart and I realized there was, there was <laughs> there's probably more spots I'm not even aware of, but he showed me a deep area in the area of rest where I just wasn't trusting him to give me what I felt like I needed. Like, Lord, I'll give you 98%, but there's 2% I'm just holding on to. I physically shook as I say yes to him. And then as I shared it, Hector's one of them, <laughs> but I shared it with some of the guys that are in my, in my core group. And sharing with them my step, it's like a huge release happened when I just said, this is what I'm giving my yes to now. I'm letting Jesus into this area of my heart, I'm trusting. So at the risk of sounding like a broken record, we're gonna say yes to him again, and we're gonna be singing that we need him, but maybe just in your own words, let's pray in unison to, to get, uh, together and just give our yes to him. 